full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. A slow news week, right? Not quite. Here we are, minding our own business, getting ready for another incredible episode of Rebel Force Radio, the world's most listened to Star Wars podcast. And all of a sudden, the news breaks that Benioff and Weiss are out. And I got to tell you, my first thought was, how is this news? If you've been listening to Rebel Force Radio for the last month... No, we called it back at the end of September that Benioff and Weiss were never going to write or direct a Star Wars movie. It was not going to happen. And uh, neither is Ryan Johnson, for that matter. Oh, I should probably turn on the the camera for those of you that are uh, paid sponsors of Rebel Force Radio via Patreon. Welcome to uh, Rebel Force Radio. This week's show... For November first, two thousand nineteen, and I know that I'm—I uh, know I'm a day late, right? That's me, day late, dollar short. But I love Halloween, and I just wanted to get into the Halloween spirit uh, by putting on a little costume. So, I, apologies if you don't recognize me. It is Jason Swank, and I am here with my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, now, Star Wars fans. Uh, yeah, I did notice that you are. In costume, as I can see yeah. you on our video feed. Of course, full-length videos are available to members of the Patreon all-access tier. And we put little tidbits out for everyone here and there on YouTube, on the RFR YouTube channel. So uh, subscribe, smash that like button, hit the bell, all so, that stuff. So are you dressed as a YouTuber oh. A YouTube influencer? Is that what you are for Halloween this year, Jason? I, I actually am. Uh, and it's a pretty deep disguise. So uh, I'll, I'll give you uh, a hint. Yes, I'm dressed as a YouTube influencer with a very strong and quite timely Star Wars connection. Do you have it yet? Hold on. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Uh, hmm. let, me, let me give you a hint. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Are you watching? I am. Okay. All right. You're uh, a, a guy watching the uh, Rise of Skywalker trailer. And yes, your, I am Eric Butts. Your reaction video. I am, I am dressed as Eric Butts. Who has done uh, taken the whole internet by storm 
with his reaction videos to the uh, the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker trailers. I don't think he got to the Mandalorian yet. We'll we'll be uh, doing that tonight, but it won't be quite as emotional as uh, as Eric. So yeah, do you do you recognize me now? Can you see it? Can I you do. See the resemblance? I do. Well, oh, it's it's really remarkable. The uh, resemblance, quite honestly. But uh, you know, I went on a little Twitter tear the other day and asked myself. Uh, in front of everyone, is this what Star Wars fandom has become? <laughs> because I really question the authenticity of any reaction video. Um, I think you point a camera at someone uh, with the intention of getting a reaction out of them. The reaction will be there and it will be amplified. Thus, <laughs> fake. I think the only way you could do a proper reaction video... Stop making all those faces. I, I was reacting to you. <laughs> That's not funny. I don't, I don't All right, want I'm to done. see that All right. again. <laughs> um, okay. But I, I just think that the only way you could get a legitimate reaction video and to make it happen with authenticity at its core is to uh, have the subject unaware that he or she is actually being videoed. But now a lot of people get clicks and, and uh, attention and notoriety uh, by... Um, putting on a show, an emotional show, watching Star Wars trailers. And uh, I'm not on board with it. A lot of people uh, were um, with me, and a lot of people were against me in those claims. But uh, that's just my opinion. Well, well, you know, it, it, just do a little research. You'll find out that this uh, Eric Butts guy, nothing against him. I mean, he's on YouTube. He's got 30,000, 40,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube. But that's first and foremost, is he's a YouTube guy. Mm-hmm. He was looking for downloads. He was looking for clicks. He was looking for views. Uh, and he was also admittedly quite drunk when he recorded those. And he seems like a nice enough guy. The problem that I had, Jim, and it was the same. What's, what's had, quite drunk was, for him? Two cans of light beer? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, he, he <laughs> good point. Uh, he seems like he would probably be a lightweight. Um, recent, he's a newlywed. He's, a recent, he's recently married. And... Um, my problem was not with what Eric did, but it was with what he did then led to the media grabbing that, thrusting him on to the mainstream public and saying, look at this Star Wars. Isn't this cute? Look at this Star Wars. Thing. Yeah. Oh, they're it, so passionate. It becomes but a representation. at us. Yes, it, right. It yes. becomes representative of the whole and uh, of the whole scene. Uh, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't represent me. No. And I, I've long believed that people are just way too prone to wearing every emotion on the, uh, you know on the outside of their skin you know they just and that's why everybody is is so ridiculously sensitive mm-hmm. now <laughs> and easily offended because their emotions are just on the surface as if that's something to be uh so proud of i i, I you know I, i'm not you know saying that you know you got to be stoic and stiff upper lip all the all the time i think you can show emotion but it 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 rings of insincerity when that's all you get is just this emotional basket case. Yeah, act like you've been here before, man. Uh, right, <laughs> right. It's, it's <laughs> this ridiculous, this ridiculousness of of getting all bent the out of guy, shape because you see the Millennium Falcon in the third movie of the third trilogy. Right. Just, that to me rings insincerity. It's totally insincere because the guy acted as though he had been blind since birth, and this was the first moment. <laughs> He could see 
you know, I've seen amazing videos of, dude, you want to you, you shed some tears. Watch some videos of little babies or little kids getting the cochlear implant for the oh, first time. And they can hear the sound of their mother's voice right, or their right. father's voice. Like, that is... That brings you to tears. That brings you to tears. Or the, the kid whose father has been away serving overseas. And oh, they get yeah, that surprise right. reunion. And it always just brings me, it turns me into a puddle on the floor. Unlike, right. you know, I mean, Star Wars, I have a very strong connection with, but I don't find myself turning into an emotional basket case over it either. You know, it's just, like I said, act like you've been here before. Man up, sissy pants. <laughs> well, anyway, so it is, the, of course, the show for November 1st, but yesterday was Halloween and... Uh, I do have to tell you, so we had trick-or-treat a, a week ago. We, yeah. we do trick-or-treat the Sunday before. Unless Halloween falls on a weekend day, my town does trick-or-treat on the Sunday prior from 3 to 5. And I've railed about this on the show many times. I hate that. I think it's ridiculous. And it was overreaction to all of the urban legends and the old wives' tales of the 80s about razor blades and candy and all that stuff and in apples and, you know, a bunch of moms got together and said, let's do this at three o'clock in the afternoon, whatever. But I did have an opportunity to exact my rule. You come to my house and you are dressed as a Star Wars mm -hmm. character. You get twice the candy bonus. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So Boba Fett comes up and he's there with uh, with this this guy in a in a just you know, the kid that he, the guy, he thinks he's uh, maybe a little too old. So he just kind of puts on like his baseball uniform. Mm -hmm. Right. OK. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah he, or, or he puts on the, the football jersey. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, like that's a real costume. Um, but this one kid, he was great. A full flight suit with the with the armor pads on and the helmet. And he was a great looking Boba Fett. So he comes up and uh, I said, oh, I said, well, you Star Wars care, you know, Take take more candy, take more candy, and then the, the baseball guy starts putting his mitts, literally his mitt, <laughs> inside the candy. I go, not you, baseball, and I kind of slapped his hand. And the dad was at the end of the driveway, and he gave me a big thumbs up. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I agree, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm a big Star Wars fan too. Yeah, yeah. I said, I'm sorry, Dad. I said, you know, the rule is uh, only Star Wars characters. Uh, not a lot of them this year. Uh, had had a Mandalorian, had a great Vader. This kid was probably ten years old. Mm -hmm. Great looking Vader, and uh, but you know uh, there, there was another set that I think you and you and your brother Bill would have loved because of the nostalgia factor. Is uh, you had these three boys. They were all brothers, and their ages had to have been like four, eight, and ten, something like that. Four, six, and ten. Four, eight, and ten, and they were dressed as the Marx Brothers. Oh, wonderful. And the little four-year-old was was Harpo, yeah, with yeah. the little horn yeah. <laughs> and the <laughs> and the big wig. Wow, it was amazing. That's, I said, "You take as much candy as you yeah, want." That's an amazing I mean, deep dive right there. I mean, that would Groucho be... had the glasses and the cigar, and he's like doing the whole thing. It was it was so good. I think Billy Mac did a Groucho marks for Halloween one year. Quite honestly, way uh, back okay. when, because you know, uh, if you know anything about Billy Mac, he loves to. Uh, 
to appear as a mustachioed person <laughs> for any uh, Halloween event. Last year, he was Burt Reynolds. Uh, this year, he was Father Guido Sarducci. And when we were kids, he was Groucho Marx. And who could forget that wonderful moment at Solo in Ohio when Billy Mack appeared on stage with full Lando mustache to enhance the puppet Lando segment? Because we well, didn't have the, the we question, didn't have the puppet though. back then, so we right. needed well, something. You know, Bill was the puppet. Yeah, <laughs> he had his own puppet. Well, he still is. Yeah, uh, it was too much when he was sitting on your lap, though. But the, yeah. the question is, though, has Bill ever actually had the mustache for realsies? No, he's never had facial hair. Oh, Billy Mac oh. has never ever. I think he he shaves twice a day, probably. Oh wow! <laughs> well, yeah, because I can tell. I like you. You you grow it fast. You grow it yeah, fast. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah so my my son Michael uh, grows facial hair very quickly too, um, but uh, all right, you know Halloween. We should, yeah, we should do. It. I, Jimmy was giving me crap saying it's not really Halloween. Yeah, you know because the, the day show comes after, out. We want to be timely. Yeah, we, we want to talk timely. about Star Wars things. And we've got so much Star Wars to talk about. Uh, like we said, we got the Benioff and Weiss news broke today, plus the Mandalorian trailer, which debuted earlier this week. Before uh, we get any further, we got to cover this news. Big news. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. As they said, you know, we were just minding our own business, and the news broke that Benioff and Weiss were, uh, they were off the project. They exit their Star Wars trilogy. So, Jim, this was an exclusive to, uh, to Deadline, and of course it set the internet on fire. The Star Wars pundits were all chatting and uh of course taking various sides saying oh this is you know one more kathleen kennedy debacle uh she goes through directors like i don't know put in your own metaphor there. Mm. You know? <laughs> like, like carter has pills like carter has peanuts reagan had jelly beans whatever like anyway, uh i got nothing like, uh, oh, let's just go on. <laughs> Nothing I'm thinking of is appropriate for a family show like Rebel yes. Force Radio. But anyway, the point being that she goes through a lot of directors. There's a trail of tears in the Star Wars feature film director's camp uh, going all the way back to, well, uh, Josh Trank. There's one. Uh, he was a writer. First? He was a writer. I guess we shouldn't limit this to directors because... Well, let's go through the list here, okay? Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I would think that the first one, the first one on the hit list would be Mr. Trank, who was, yes. it was rumored, and it's assumed he was tabbed to direct the Boba Fett standalone film, which I don't believe we'll ever see. I think the, the Fett film has been swallowed up by The Mandalorian. Um, and, and elements from that project will find new life in the Disney Plus streaming series. But Josh Trank took uh, the first bullet, and that is due to his failure on the set of Fantastic Four. And I'm not talking about the box office returns on that film. I'm talking about the disaster of a production that was with him in the at the helm. He was 
completely self-destructive. He shut out much of the production crew and cast and uh, was very difficult to work with. And the proof is in the pudding. The Fantastic Four reboot was terrible. And uh, no one liked it. And uh, Josh Trank has fallen off the Hollywood map since then. And uh, he got fired from Star Wars, essentially for being... Um, difficult, you know, I mean, for yeah. being um, a loose wire, essentially, you know. And so with his departure, um, also uh, you see Simon Kinberg, who I believe was slated for a big role uh, in the shaping of the Disney era of Star Wars. I believe um, he also was the uh, scapegoat, the fall guy for the Josh Trank debacle. I believe it was Simon who brought Josh Trank to Lucasfilm to begin with. And uh, Simon was heavily involved in early strategy and idea sessions for the sequel trilogy. He was a co-creator of Star Wars Rebels. And um, I think once the Trank thing fell apart, it was uh, Kimberg uh, was the blood that got spilt as a result. So that's two right there. You have Gareth- now. Who was the guy? Who was the guy that was a writer on Rogue One? Who uh, we were highly critical of because he was very uh, Gary anti- Witta. Gary Witta. Gary Witta. Gary Witta was uh, given the boot. Yeah, was he? I th- well, I because th- he gained. He- you know what he said after the after he kind of parted ways with Lucasfilm was that mm-hmm. hey at least he was able to name a Star Wars film because I think he's the one that yeah determined that the film be called Rogue One and I think he broke the story too um, does but, he have the writing credit he, he has the story by mm-hmm. I think a credit that he shares with John Null uh, story mm-hmm. by Gary Whitta and then uh, as the screenwriting and, and the script building process was happening um, there were many revisions to the story along the way many different writers were brought in throughout the process including I think uh, uh, Chris McQuarrie was brought in at one point mm-hmm. um, uh, who else who else has writing credits Chris White's film? Chris White's yes uh, another one and uh, there could have been a, a third collaborator to all that. Well, and as Tony well. Gilroy shaped the story. Now, of course, Tony been. Gilroy was brought in Through editing and after directing. Yeah, he was brought in for the elements. reshoots. Yeah, the reshoots. Yeah, um, but it's hard to say Gareth was at any fault here because his marching orders were to go deliver a Star Wars war film, a hardcore war film, and Gareth came back with a war film. And I think they're like, well, where's the Star Wars? Um, but I'm not 100% sure that's how it all went down. But there were um, many changes made as uh, Gareth essentially handed the baton off to Tony Gilroy. But Gareth stayed on the project and was still collaborating with Gilroy throughout the process. So uh, there's a shakeup right there. Um, Colin Trevorrow was brought on board to direct episode nine, and uh, apparently there were reputation problems with him, attitude problems with him, um, and Kathleen didn't want to work with him eventually. Something tells me uh, the way Luke Skywalker was depicted in episode eight may have um, been a point of friction 
between Colin and the studio. I think Colin had different plans for that character. Mark Hamill has said as much. And uh, so I think uh, push came to shove and Colin got pushed right out the door and they brought J.J. Abrams back in almost as an act of desperation that I believe was initiated by Bob Iger. Of course, you have Chris Miller and uh, Phil Phil Lord. Phil Lord. I almost call him John Lord, former Late great keyboardist from Deep Purple, um, uh, who I saw a couple weeks ago. Fantastic, still. Um, but uh, Miller and Lord were let go with about eighty percent of Solo being shot uh, because they were promoting too much humor in improvisation on the set. And again, like the case with Gareth, Miller and Lord were sent out to produce and create a specific type of star wars film a they comedy were, they were, yes there if you remember at this time as news was breaking about these star wars spin-offs they wanted to try different types of movies comedy war uh western they had all these different ideas of putting a star wars film in a kind of a new wrapper or a more um, overt kind of style, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And Jim, you and I kept saying, we've been very consistent from day one. Why not make a Star Wars movie that is inspired by Star Wars? Yeah, right, Instead right. of always looking for it. Uh, and that sort of, I think, became very clear with the success of Rogue One and the way Tony Gilroy ended up shaping the film. It's really kind of the most Star Wars-y of all of the Disney Star Wars films, honestly. And hard not to be because of how tightly um, ensconced it is in the existing original trilogy timeline. You got Darth Vader in there, you got Tarkin in there, you got Leia in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it had some advantages so, when it was set. And, and so now we're in a point where Benioff and Weiss have removed themselves from uh, the next uh, trilogy that they were uh, slated to uh, produce and write. This comes as a surprise for sure, but I had the feeling that this was going to happen. You guys have been hearing me voice my my concerns and doubts about the Benioff Weiss contributions to Star Wars happening, and that all comes from the August deal with Netflix that these guys made. What makes you think that they can do both? Well, it's impossible. It's common sense. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. I agree with what you're saying, but I, but I, but I, I I'm just going to nitpick a little bit because I don't think it has to do with the fact that they, that they were signed on to do star Wars and then got this big Netflix deal. What I think the, the X factor here is after Kevin Feige was tapped to what I believe is really take over in terms of mapping out the future of Star Wars on the silver screen, on the big screen, the feature films, he started to move around the chess pieces. And one of those chess pieces, or maybe three of those chess pieces, were the Benioff and Weiss films, which then changed their schedules, which then made them unavailable. I think I don't think they would have signed with Netflix if it was going to be a direct conflict with what they knew at the time was going to be the schedule for their their Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. Enter Kevin Feige. That roadmap for 2022 and beyond mm-hmm. is now 
completely scrapped. Kathleen Kennedy's roadmap of Star Wars uh, feature films gone out the window. She's focused on Disney Plus or Favreau and Filoni are focused on Disney Plus. I don't really know what Kathleen Kennedy's future is. The only thing I do know is it's not going to have anything to do with feature films. I think Rise of Skywalker is going to be the end of Kathleen's uh, stay as helming Star Wars on the big screen. So that's where I'm feeling the conflict arise. Um, notice also Benioff and Weiss effusive in their praise of George Lucas in the statement that they released exclusively to uh, Deadline. Yeah. Uh, I think so, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where I was having a lot of doubts. But uh, we did get wind that they, uh, the, the duel of Benioff and Weiss did meet with George Lucas over the summer. Right. They, they met with him. Uh, George has a place in Italy. And they met with him there. I also heard Dave Filoni met with uh, with George Lucas in Italy over the summer as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I think that George is actually starting to have uh, a more active hand in the development of Star Wars. Um, it just hasn't really been made apparent to us yet. Um, and it will be more and more so, especially after Episode 9 comes out and we start discovering what sort of contributions Lucas made to that story. For as many people referring to Episode 9 as a J.J. Abrams film, I'm starting to believe it's more of a collaborative effort. I think there are a lot of cooks in that kitchen right now. Not only J.J. Uh, and It could be a, a source of irritation for J.J. maybe uh, a little bit. But uh, I think there it's real crunch time right now, and I think there are a lot of people offering different sort of suggestions as to how the Skywalker saga should be wrapping up. As far as Kathleen Kennedy and her continued involvement in Star Wars, I, I'm not really so sure that she's going to be, um, but I, I also don't think she's going to necessarily be leaving Lucasfilm anytime soon either. Uh, I think she is going to still be heavily involved, not so much in the Disney Plus stuff, but in the Indiana Jones Indy 5 that's uh, slated to go into production next year, uh, slated to go well, in front of right cameras next year. Well, that's right in her wheelhouse with Steven Spielberg. Well, of course. And yeah, then also right. you have to keep in mind, uh, there was uh, news that broke in August that uh, with the Disney acquisition of Fox, uh, there are plenty of different properties and IPs available within that purchase. And uh, one of those is a book. Um, a book that's going to be adapted to film called Children of Blood and Stone. Children of oh, Blood yeah. and Stone. Is that a, it's a young adult fantasy novel. Um, Tomi um, Adiyemi. Oh, okay. Adiyemi. I, 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 I might be that, saying uh, the name. I'm sure I'm saying the name wrong. Adiyemi. I, I'm not familiar mm. with the book. I'm not from, familiar with the author. But I do know that it is... Um, it is a property that's going to become a feature film, and I think Kathleen Kennedy is going to be heavily involved in the production of that. Also, we heard that Kevin Feige is going to be working alongside Kathleen. Not happening. But, no, but, Kevin you know, Feige is like, not working, not working he's side his, by side with He's Kathleen. his own man. He's not yeah. a yes man. He's going to be put in there for a purpose, and I think that purpose is to... Uh, to right the ship and get the right crew on board the ship as it plows into the next decade uh, of Star Wars. So um, Feige is going to be the guy who will be making the next hires, and he will be appointing the creative crew to the next 
era of Star Wars films. Should there yep. be a next era of Star Wars films? Oh, there I mean, will be. There will be. I know. I know. Why, I know why there would they will move Feige over? Um, well, right, right, right. Um, well, I mean, I just you know, I'm 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 throwing doubt into the uh, the the idea that Star Wars is going to return December 2022 with I, I a new film. I, I I'm throwing a, a lot of uh, doubt on that mm. whole plan. I, I'm throwing doubt on anything that has been mention about the future of star wars films i think ryan johnson is one and done i don't see i don't i don't care how successful knives out is going to be if knives out can be the number one film and knives out could win best picture and ryan johnson will not return to star wars yeah. uh, he, he's just he, he no. he's just it's not just us it's there are posts and reports and articles and and look, the last all kind the of last, things out there. Heard calling Ryan Johnson, he was he was working the red carpet on a premiere for Knives or some event for what Film is it? Festival. Knives Wide Shut, whatever it was. <laughs> Knives Out. It is even Knives it hasn't Out. Been Knives released Out. Yet. But here's that clip. He was on the red carpet for some film festival somewhere, and uh, Bang Showbiz asked him about the status of his future Star Wars trilogy. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm still talking to Lucasfilm. They're figuring out what they're doing, and, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I'd be thrilled if, it, thrilled if it happens, and I'm working on my own stuff, too. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the first time that doubt was creeping into his, uh, his tone because up to that point, he'd been very defiant, especially on social media, where he is a bit of a target for those that have um, uh, that were not ex- exactly excited about The Last Jedi. And they've kind of gone after him. And, of course, he made himself a target because he uh, then went after fans and, you know, that whole thing. But I have a little bit of news here. This is from Variety. Uh, writer Gene Mattis. This also broke today as we're recording the show. The headline is Ryan Johnson's former agent sues CAA, creative artists, huge agency representing lots and lots of talent, big money talent, over Star Wars commissions. So there is a lawsuit uh, Ryan Johnson's former agent filed suit against Creative Artist uh, Creative Artist Agency on Monday, claiming the agency worked behind his back on a Star Wars deal while Johnson was still his client. So there are major commissions at stake here. Mm-hmm. Uh, damages. Uh, Brian Dreyfus represented Johnson for twelve years. He sued his former client in twenty sixteen, and the suit alleged that Johnson uh, owed Dreyfus a commission on the Star Wars deal. The Star Wars deal, which was announced shortly after Johnson dropped Dreyfus in 2014, the suit has been on hold pending a California labor commissioner case in which Johnson accuses Dreyfus of not being a licensed agent, thereby avoiding the deal. Bottom line is that this is currently in litigation. They're in discovery. Lucasfilm is not going to be altering any deals publicly uh, or officially with Ryan Johnson while this thing is still uh, subject to a, a litigation and a lawsuit. That's interesting. So uh, they're not going to change. They're not going to uh, dissolve. They're not going to do anything with that deal while this kind of money is potentially on the line. I think they like Ryan Johnson. I think Kathleen Kennedy likes Ryan Johnson. She's not going to do anything to influence this court case one way or the other. So I think that's why they haven't officially unannounced Ryan Johnson. Um, Jim, some of our speculation was, and we had evidence to believe 
that the Benioff and Weiss project was indeed the same project as that of Ryan Johnson's. Mm-hmm, Ryan mm-hmm, Johnson mm-hmm. was going to direct a film that was going to be, or a series of films that was going to be written by Benioff and Weiss. Right, but the original announcement about Johnson was that he had a blue sky opportunity in front yes, of him right. where he was going to be able to write, produce, and direct the next trilogy. And that's not happening. And that's not happening. There, I mean, I think there could have been an attempt to bring Johnson together with Benioff and Weiss. Who knows if that would have worked as a collaboration, um, the chemistry. Uh, th- there could have been all sort of different issues or just the fact that, hey, this wasn't the deal I signed up for. I wanted to produce it. I wanted to write it. I wanted to direct it. That's how Ryan Johnson operates. He does that with everything he does. And I think if you remove one of those elements off the playing board, he is not going to be so into doing it. Um, that could have been a contributing factor to uh, – Benioff and Weiss not working on Star Wars anymore. Um, A lot of people are saying, oh, it's because the last three episodes of Game of Thrones sucked. All right. Well, you know what? I don't think that's that has anything to do with anything. (laughs) I don't think it has anything to do with it because that's way too subjective. And it's it's not indicative of these guys in their career and their tenure there at uh, running Game of Thrones. I do want to say that, you know, from a PR perspective, standpoint this is being handled you know quite diplomatically with uh kathleen kennedy uh saying that uh david and dan are incredible storytellers we hope to include them in the journey forward when they are able to step away from their busy schedule to to focus on star wars um you had (laughs) benioff and weiss again singing the praises of george lucas saying that really the highlight of this whole journey was being able to yeah uh talk with him and the current star wars team it was the thrill of a lifetime and uh will always be we will always be indebted to the saga uh that changed everything um in fact he went on to say that uh, george lucas created star wars and star wars created them i mean that was i mean that's 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 really something. And so the the love for George and, you know, the core of Star Wars is 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 th- all throughout this, this statement. Um, the other thing I, I just want to say, I, I really believe uh, wholeheartedly that this is the result of a uh, clearing of the slate, a cleaning of the slate of Kathleen Kennedy's planned. Uh, feature films from 2022 onward. Yeah. I think that up until those changes in the schedule were made, these guys were on board. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility that they, you know, would come back. It's just that their schedules aren't their schedules. Jim, I think you were right to the degree that their schedules were so tight that unless those chips fell exactly right, they weren't going to be able to do this, which is, you know, a, a bad deal. You can't, um, who knows? I just I find it very hard to believe that their agents and the folks running their schedules would have allowed them to enter into the Lucasfilm contract as well as the Netflix deal all within a few months of each other and had that little bit of margin uh, for them to work with. Yeah, it was it was about a year separating the two things, maybe even a little more. Um, but Benioff and Weiss would have never signed that deal with Netflix. If uh, they thought they were making a Star Wars movie, it would have just it would have never happened. They were already signed up to do the Star Wars film first. And, uh, 
And so once it, it became apparent that that wasn't going to work out for them, then they stepped away. Um, yeah. it, well, then they signed the Netflix deal. I don't think they signed the Netflix deal to sort of build leverage or anything like that. They signed no. the Netflix deal because they knew that their involvement with Star Wars had gone belly up. And uh, why did it do that? Why? What happened? Were they trying to force these guys to work with Ryan Johnson and they didn't want to? Were they put in a place where they became intimidated by the pressure of stepping into Star Wars after just wrapping up Game of Thrones? Maybe they felt yeah. like they weren't ready to tackle another big franchise like that and deal with the fan base. I, I, I think that's unlikely. Um, I just think that it turned into a situation where they weren't going to be able to exert their control over hmm. the whole production. And uh, I believe... So you think it's about creative control yes. at this point? The, the Ryan Johnson angle is about creative control. Yes. Benioff and Weiss is about creative control. Enter Feige, who's obviously going to is, exert an incredible amount of... Mm. Uh, control and direction over this. Well, the Feige thing is Alan Horn stepping in is the guy who runs the uh, film studio for Disney. He's stepping in and saying, all right, we have to figure this out. We got to fix this. And the way we're going to fix this is we're going to bring in Favreau from Marvel. Then we're going to bring in Feige from Marvel and we're going to make it happen. So um, I, I think that's, they've always used this Marvel template with their, um, approach to star wars they thought they could spin off star wars and have these different standalone films and then the big event films that have roman numerals attached to them uh, they thought they could make it all happen in the same way they rolled out the individual marvel solo character films and then brought them all together for avengers it's it's not going to work that way in Star Wars, but yet they still look. Disney still looks at the success they've had with Marvel, and they're trying to do whatever they can to spread the wealth over to Lucasfilm. And I think bringing Kevin Feige in is a big part of that. Could we be in a position where we see Marvel swallow up Lucasfilm and become the well, sole the, the the sole producer of Star Wars? Or isn't that, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, because you've got the the. You know, in all the uh, marketing for the Disney Plus, you've got uh, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm. Those seem to be the big brands that they're mm -hmm. putting out there. Uh, I've always just assumed that you would have uh, Lucasfilm or Star Wars being under the auspices of, of, of Disney General. But that's an interesting idea that given the relationship that Marvel has had with Lucasfilm, uh, and and Star Wars as a franchise uh, that could it sort of envelop it? I don't know how they're going to tag it, but my feeling is that Disney proper is going to you know by way of Kevin Feige is going to be overseeing this. I think it's going to come outside of the auspices of of Lucasfilm. I really do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and maybe the fact that Kathleen Kennedy is hiring and firing people like crazy. Um, you know, I, well, I know I understand it. I got, I'm sorry. I, that just looks like erratic behavior. Well, you know, and, and it's not like this stuff doesn't ever happen in Hollywood. It happens all the time. But I mean, with one franchise to keep on repeating the same 
mistakes over and over again with whoever the flavor of the month filmmaker is at the time. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it, I've I personally have lost a ton of confidence in Lucasfilm over this whole process, and it's it's not because we're nitpicking. It's not because everything Star Wars is so amplified. It's just that these dominoes keep falling in the same way over and over and over again. I mean, we we just ran down the list of some people. <laughs> I mean, incredibly successful people in Hollywood. Hey, here, let's look. More people look. have left. Or been fired from Star Wars projects that have joined Star Wars projects. That's, Let, that, that, that's the scorecard. Let's take a quick look here at the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 most powerful people in entertainment for 2019. They just released this list, and I spent some time poring over it, um, primarily to see who the Star Wars connections were to this list. And uh, let's just run through them real fast. At number 100, uh, Taika Watiti, who is going to uh, be employed in the uh, Mandalorian show, is both a director and a character voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 86, Benioff and Weiss. Number 83, Donald Glover. Number 71, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So you have a couple of actors from Solo there. Number 64, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Number 52, John Favreau. Number 49, Kathleen Kennedy. Number 19, J.J. Abrams. Number 10, Alan Horn and Alan Bergman, the studio heads for Disney movies. Number 5, Kevin Feige. And number 1, the big guy, Bob Iger. So there you have, I mean, in, in the list of the top 100 Hollywood Hollywood's most powerful people for this year, you have Lord and Miller. You have Benioff and Weiss. And so these aren't just like loser nobodies that are getting kicked off the job over <laughs> incompetence. These, these are, are major players. Major, <laughs> major players. And, of course, Colin Trevorrow, is, uh, he's, he's riding high on the hog on the uh, Jurassic stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for all we know, uh, this list next year could include names like maybe Ryan Johnson. You know, for all we know, um, we'll see how Knives Out does. Well, you know, I, I I heard some commentary about these guys, whether it be Ryan or or Colin Trevorrow. These are guys that had kind of meteoric rises, and they you know they became a little. They, they grew a little too fast. I think is 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 what a lot of people are saying that the, the, these are people that didn't quite have. It's like what you're saying about the flavor of the month. They had all of the, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the notoriety and the accolades, but it was based on a little bit of material. They showed promising careers. They were snatched up by Kathleen Kennedy, who wanted to work with, I think, people that were um, quite skilled, but also quite moldable. And that's why I think she can, you know, had the conflicts with JJ, uh, which is alleged it's not been publicly confirmed anywhere um but then at the same time these guys come in they're full of confidence full of their own ideas and you have you have uh, conflict somebody brought to our attention a story from independent.co.uk from 2017 headline star wars 9 insiders reveal why colin trevorrow was Fired from episode nine, and uh, it's it, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, 
you know, it, it sort of um, shines a lot of light onto uh, this hair trigger that Kathleen Kennedy has. Um, mm. It's an inside source that claims Trevor All was booted by Lucasfilm head Kathleen Kennedy for perception of being difficult. Um, apparently, he was uh, sort of dictator-like on the sets of Jurassic World and Book of Henry. Um, but uh, it's just interesting that she has this disinterest and this this distrust for her own hires. Here's what the insider says. When the reviews for Book of Henry came out, there was immediately conjecture that Kathy was going to dump him because they weren't thrilled with working with him anyway. He's a difficult guy. He's really, really confident. Let's just call it that. The same insider says that there's one. Oh, no. This is a veteran movie producer saying anonymously. There's one gatekeeper when it comes to Star Wars. And it isn't Rebel Force Radio, it's Kathleen Kennedy. If you Despite rub... <laughs> claims to the contrary, if you rub... it is not RFR. If you rub Kathleen Kennedy the wrong way, anyway, you're out. You're done. A lot of these young new directors want to come in and say, I want to do this, I want to do that. A lot of these guys, Lord and Miller, Colin Trevorrow, got very rich very fast and believed a lot of their own hype. And they don't right. want to play by the rules. They don't want to do S differently. And Kathleen Kennedy isn't going to F around with that. Apologies for letters. But, um, but so, I mean, you know, tonight's episode of Rebel Force Radio brought to you by the letter S and F and yeah, and A. Um, and, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, it brought or hosted by A. Um, uh huh. But so it, it's just interesting that it shines the light on that to the point where she gets frustrated with these top, te- top Hollywood power players that end up on the Hollywood Reporter 100 list. Oh, by the way, one more thing about that list. They interviewed a lot of the subjects that made the list on Hollywood Reporter, and they asked them a bunch of kind of basic questions. One of them was, what is your go-to podcast for a long drive? And I scrubbed through that entire article, and not one of these people said Rebel Force Radio. Do you believe that? I can't believe it. I mean, Bob Iger calls us, you know, once That's a what month I was at thinking. least. Iger, call us. Uh, you know, um, Bob hasn't called for a while, so please give us a call, Mr. Iger. Uh, he did leave a message. I think he was drinking um, because he tried to, like, say he was, he was George Lucas. He drinking with Eric Butts. He, he said he was George Lucas. <laughs> oh. And I could totally tell it was Mr. Iger. He was trying Do to pull a fast that? one Should on I play us. that? Oh, I'll dig it up. We can play it in, oh, okay. in a little right, bit. Right. I thought I had that one. Um, oh, but it, speaking of Bob Iger, though, one yes. of the questions yes. that THR was asking was, if you found Bob Iger's iPhone, which contact would you call? Okay. Ooh. And everybody who's anybody would be in there, right? The best answer came from um, Avatar director. um, uh, Why am I spacing out his name? James Cameron? James Cameron. What's the matter with me? (laughs) Avatar director. It happens. You know, what's the name of that guy? Uh, Titanic. Yeah, the Titanic Uh, guy. But he says, I can call anybody I want. I don't need Bob Iger's cell phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, talk about egos. Yeah, right. That guy has got, uh, well, you know, hey, and probably well-deserved. I mean, this is a guy who was a truck driver that taught himself how to make movies by stopping at, at, at libraries and, and, and reading books on the road about it. Is that right? His story's incredible. Read up on James Cameron. I don't. I hope this isn't. Someone's going to write in and be like, "He's a jerk, crap." Yeah, no, he's absolutely a a, a total uh, a hole. Oh, speaking of cell phones, I heard one time that uh, James Cameron was conducting a meeting and someone's cell phone went off and he demanded, "Hand me that phone." And the person, "No, here's my phone," and and handed (laughs) it over to him. And he grabbed the phone and took a hammer and a nail and just started hitting it like he was going to pound it into the wall. (laughs) Maniac, maniac. What's wrong with these people? Just punch my. You know, it's amazing that the 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 thin line between uh, maniac, psycho, and genius is is so it's just ridiculously thin you got guys like steve jobs i mean you just you know even our even uncle george you know the notorious (laughs) gl oh yeah you you can just tell that on the wrong day oh (laughs) oh you would have no idea Um, i can only imagine but it's such a it is really a it is such a fine line uh somebody used to say i remember there was a, a a quote about you know the difference between uh Genius and insanity. Mm-hmm. About $10 million. Yeah, right. So Benioff and Weiss are out. What out does this mean dough. for the future of Star Wars films? We don't know. But we've been telling you guys for about a month that this the writing was on the wall for this bad boy. Uh, but even I was surprised to see it had finally broke. Uh, what this means for Ryan Johnson, of course, we'll be waiting for the announcement from him. I'm sure they'll give him the opportunity to step away. I think uh, they were hoping when he took Knives Out that that would be the door out for Ryan. Um, and, and Ryan has indicated that he is looking at other projects. He and his producing par- partner, Ron Bergman, they just opened their own production company. He's going to be involved in a lot of different uh, projects. He'll be busy. And uh, I just uh, don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe they're just stringing him along at this point. Uh, I don't know. know. You know, it was, it was just one month ago that they dropped the news. Uh, Hollywood Reporter dropped the news about Kevin Feige. A month later, you got Deadline with the exclusive on um, uh, Benioff and Weiss being out the door. I think we're probably about a month. And it depends on this lawsuit, you know. But I, I would say by the first of the year, I think we're going to have an official word about uh, Ryan Johnson being out. And I think depending on how the that initial box office of Rise of Skywalker, I think if Rise of Skywalker does great box office in the first couple of weeks, we're going to get some sort of announcement as to what the future of Star Wars on the big screen is. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for them uh, to get some news out. If the film shows the makings of Solo, um, if it has that type of trajectory, I think we'll probably be on a bit of a drought when it comes to Star Wars on the big screen. Mm -hmm. Their ace in the hole is the Mandalorian. And that's the thing that I think can actually um, really carry the the, the PR for them and, and keep things positive. If it's good, every indication is that it's not just good. It's great. Initial reviews of the first 25 minutes coming out of the, the, the press cut, the, the press, Whoop-dee-doo a couple weeks ago have all been very positive. There was a trailer, as we said, that dropped earlier this week. 
Um, still looking great. Uh, you've got awesome pedigree in there with Dave Filoni and John Favreau. It would be really difficult to screw this up, given all of the uh, um, uh, all the, all the things in the wind column for this series. Um, well, hey, how about uh, we go ahead and take a look at that Mandalorian trailer? Do you want to do that now? Yeah, let's jump right into you it. Wanna, all right, all right well, let's, let's do that. Okay, so here's what we'll do. We'll go ahead and uh, we'll start the trailer up, and we'll just kind of pause and and stop and and talk about things as it. Um, as it unfolds. Are you ready to do this now? I am ready. All right. All right. I'm as ready as I'll ever be. All right. So you tell me when you want me to stop, okay? All righty. All right. If it gets too intense. <laughs> all right. Now, we've seen this before. We've got right. the uh, the helmets. Stormtrooper helmets. Stormtrooper helmets. Yeah. Buried in what I believe is the Tatooine sand. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. There hasn't been any confirmation about what this planet is right no but i mean for god's sake don't introduce another sand covered planet and have it not be tatooine now you're just really screwing with us if you do that all right but i think uh we've seen uh interiors of the moss Eisley cantina um and uh other tatooine tropes hold on you know what we're gonna have to we're gonna have to stop this for just a quick second for our video viewers here um i didn't i you know how i said it wasn't going to be a problem for me to unmute this well, it was a problem oh so, it was a problem uh but anyway we're going to go back we'll go back to the top so all we've all we've seen so far are the uh, stormtrooper helmets which we've we've seen before now something we haven't seen before are the boots <laughs> these boots whose boots are they are these the mandalorian's boots because i see like a long coat yeah, they could Hanging be. down there. I don't think that's the Mandalorian. No, maybe it's uh, be a long trailer. Maybe it's a grief carga or. Uh, yeah, let's see. All right. Oh, well, there he is. That's Mandalorian. Yep, yep. You yeah, see the back of his helmet. Of course, they're on these pikes. Yes. This is, uh, this is like a no go zone right. for uh, Imperials. Right. Much, like, yeah. Much like the All welcome right. you get when you go to Captain Kurt's compound in Apocalypse Now. Heads on sticks. There's oh, a no, couple she, blurgs. Yeah, these are the blurgs, and I'm I'm assuming that we've got some ugnots up there on the blurgs, maybe. Well, yeah, um, I believe that uh, we'll be seeing Kara Dune on a blurg. Ju- judging, oh, from Kara's so- on a blurg. Yeah, we've yeah. seen that before. I, I I don't know if we've seen it before, but I've definitely heard that she's mm. going to be on a blurg. Okay. All right. Now we got Herzog doing some voiceover work, which uh, you may right. or may not be hearing. Um, you know, he he talks about the revolution, about how the the galaxy is more peaceful since the revolution. And Jim, when you think about what the galaxy has been through at this point, you know, if you're someone in your in your sixties, uh, you've seen it, it's kind of like that era between World War One and World War Two, like two massive conflicts. Uh, and then leading into the Cold War, um, it's it's it, the, the galaxy has seen the Clone Wars, uh, Clone War. Uh, it's seen the Galactic Civil War, and then you know some people are are seeing the rise of the the the, the First Order. So it's incredibly turbulent, and it's funny that the Herzog character is like. It's been more peaceful since the revolution, I think. <laughs> well, do keep in mind, he says specifically 
the world has been more peaceful since uh, the revolution. Not the galaxy. Not the necessarily the galaxy. But he does say the world, world, V E R L D, the world. That's how you spell that. Yes, uh, uh, I, I'm told by uh, all my millennial friends that uh, Herzog is a big deal. Yes, and nobody knows why. <laughs> oh, this is great. So itchy trigger finger. Uh, he turns around here at the Mandalorian character, and oh, we got some Trandoshans. This is awesome. <laughs> but I got to tell you, I kept hearing the uh, original Star Trek theme song. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The, the classic fight music. Right. Okay. But it is exciting to see the Trandoshans uh, showing up. And, Absolutely. Uh, here's, now, a lot of this is stuff we've already seen. We've seen the carbonite. Carbonite. Seen multiple what carbonite I love, though, blocks. is that we're, u- we're using legitimate sound effects from The Empire Strikes Back. Right, this yeah. carbon freezing. Some mm-hmm. of those uh, squeals and computer tones <laughs> that you hear. It's just uh, perfect. Stacked very up Very consistent. Very consistent. Yeah. Alrighty. God, if that doesn't feel like Star Wars, I don't know what the hell does. And you see... There's a uh, ship, the Razor right. Crest, and you'll oh, notice there's, there's there are the carbonite slabs coming down. Slabs. There's uh-huh. three of them there, and then he's got the fourth one. So oh, it's oh, oh I see him. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I see him uh, floating right. there in front floating of the ship. There. Exactly. Uh, yes. Very so cool. he has uh, a whole gang frozen in carbonite. So uh, are we going to find out? This comes a courtesy of our old pal uh, Kramer. Joel Kramer, he says, are we going to, you know, he, he believes that, you know, Dave loves to retcon things. Yeah. Floney. And he's like, are we going to find out that that uh, that Ugnot, which he has christened um, Ugnolt. Ugnolt because of Nick Nolte. <laughs> By the <laughs> way, Nolte. <laughs> anyone who is more excited about Werner Herzog being in this show, they're more excited than Nick Nolte's presence in it. You got to be nuts, man. <laughs> We got Nick Nolte in a Star Wars show. This is the real deal, right? And he's he's a freaking Ugnot. Ugnolt. But he was he was asking <laughs> Ugnolte. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Well, that's what we'll call ourselves, the fans of Nick Nolte's character in this show. We are the Ugnolts. That's <laughs> what we're going to call our fan group. If Dave is going to retcon this, that uh, that that Ugnot was on Cloud City, yeah, and remembered yeah. that uh, this was a. Uh, crude but uh, adequate form. Right of, uh, now, that would prisoner be transfer a perfect connection to the OT, yeah. and it would make sense clearly. Oh, you want to freeze someone and not kill them? I know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, I saw this once. Yeah, yeah, I learned how to do it on Han Solo. Dig it, <laughs> dig it. All right, so all right, we got the uh, carbonite slabs and uh, some very McCory-esque designs there. I didn't. Quite yeah, it, right it, spot, it definitely had the Tatooine flavor there. I mean, that right. doesn't look like Jakku or Jetta. This is uh, legitimately Tatooine. I hope no. it is. I won't be upset necessarily if it isn't, but I will be scratching my head going, why? <laughs> why? Why? And what kind of ship is that? Was that, it looked like is. a Macquarie... Oh, I just caught Which it. One here? Okay, it's on the the right. That looks like a Macquarie Snowspeeder. Oh, good eye there. It, it is, or it could be. Uh... 
Oh, yeah, Jimmy that's just what a it reference looks like. guide here? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, no, no. I thought you were I just, going for the reference guide. I don't have any reference guides. My reference guide is in my head. But, yeah, um, yeah that looks kind of like a Macquarie Snowspeeder there. Mm-hmm. Could he be said a- you were coming. There it goes entering oh, the uh, canteen. Did you see the, the pink Rodian? You know, yes. It's so uh, hard here to we see. Go. Freeze. There he is. Right there he there. is. Or she. Pink Rodian. And, you know, one of our criticisms about the new era of Star Wars has been the lack of bold colors with the aliens and yeah. why everything is so fleshy and Caucasian. Mm-hmm. When diversity matters, where's the green? Where's the green? <laughs> um, where's the green? Okay, true, true. We now, got an orange. We got, a, we got a blue guy coming up here. Look at this. Look at this cat. Yeah, looking blue. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's some boldness in that color. Yeah, he reminds uh, me of. Oh, a, what is? What's going on here? Oh, she's in armor. Yeah, check her out. A lot of people are very excited that they're finally putting, uh, you know, a blonde in Star Wars. We haven't really seen one since Mark Hamill himself. But uh, God, is that a thing? That is the thing. Yeah, we got blondes back in Star Wars. And she's the thing I I notice right when I'm looking at her. The Crimson Trooper. The, the crimson armor that she's wearing reminds me of uh, that Dark Horse comic, Star Wars Legacy, where mm-hmm. you had those uh, those Imperial Knights. Yeah. I'm not right. saying that she's an Imperial Knight. It's just It just reminded me of that. That look, I, I firmly believe Imperial Knights are not going to be appearing in this show, but uh, it's a good Could be look. based on. Yeah. And we know that Dave, Dave loves to pull from the expanded universe. Oh, and, and there's going to be some of that. We have some highlights from a press conference that Filoni and Favreau did recently, and uh, they talk a little bit about that. We'll get to that in a few minutes, though. Right. Now, we've seen <clears throat> a lot of this. In fact, yeah. those that were in attendance for mm-hmm. the panel uh mandalorian panel at star wars celebration chicago saw this whole scene yeah yeah with herzog and the mandalorian right excellent and then he comes out and he's brawling these moves yeah Yeah, james bond here we go november 12th little girl reaching out a lot of fast quick that ship that went by overhead looked like a uh, federation gunboat this right uh, here yeah something you would see in revenge of the sith oh and there it is. Man, I have I no memory for these ships. I really don't. It's like I don't even see them. Yeah, you would know it, though. If I mean, I mean, yeah. this is just a blur. It goes by so fast. It's a blurg. I also... Uh, um, okay, there we go. And if you look... Oh, we're going back to the... Well, I just wanted to folk? see... Okay, so there's the kid, and he's holding the mm. kid. And yeah. what's in the background? What do we? What can we see back there? Uh, this looks to me like a super battle. That's droid, exactly yeah. right. That's a super battle droid, my friend. Uh-huh. So, so uh, seeing connections to the OT, seeing connections to the PT. I like what I'm seeing here. I, I really do. Bridging the whole saga together, and, and I, I'll tell you, as, as we've known for many years, no one does it like Dave Filoni. I wonder no who one. that guy is holding the uh, the child. I thought okay. at first that was Pedro Pascal, but I don't think so. Oh. But it, could know. we be looking at like a flashback? Like origin? yeah, yeah. I think this is that uh-huh. could be Pedro Pascal. This could be a flashback uh, where we're seeing where he came from. Um, Look at this. That's uh, interesting. Is this a flashback to the Clone War? It could be. Wow. It could be because 
I think the fate of Mandalore is going to be discussed in this show, and um, specifically the fate of the, the, now, the warriors for Mandalore. Jim, take a look at the garb. I mean, there was on Mandalore in the Clone Wars a consistency. There were some robes right. that they were the, the Mandalorian people were wearing. They figured Could the this teal. Be- but, yeah, uh, right. You know, but I, but who knows? This, this shade of magenta day. reminds me of the clone troopers as they were being trained on Camino. Remember, they wore those magenta uniforms. Again, I'm not yeah. saying that they have any connection to the clones either. But but boy, this would be interesting. So you know, you could you could picture a, a origin story where Pascal's character loses his wife and daughter. In a battle on the Clone War, in the during the Clone War, and that's what kind of propels him onto his journey. Yeah, if that is indeed him, right? I, there's a lot of mystery surrounding who's under that helmet. Uh, the Mandalorian has no name right now. Right. Uh, we believe that they're going to maintain that mystery through the majority of this series. So to show him in the trailer before an episode even airs without his helmet on, even if it is a flashback scene, even if that is Pedro Pascal, I I just don't see them revealing that in this trailer. So um, are we? uh, But boy, does that look like Pedro? (laughs) It really does. It really does. Although, you know, who knows? Maybe this is he's the child in this. Uh, Right. Maybe that's Pedro's dad. But they did show that that little girl just prior to this so i think that's the same kid or maybe that's his sister looks like about seven or eight years old maybe so move on a visionary new series oh look at squidhead very fleshy but well he always always has been been. he's always been you know but uh very caucasian very cool to see he's getting pulled back uh with the uh, grappling hook. Yeah, this reminds me of the 89 Keaton Batman. Yes. The, the rooftop scene. Yes. He uh, pulls the uh, the street tough with the batarang. Yes. From the Star Wars universe. Is this a reek? That's a reek. Yeah, I thought from, so. From uh, the Geonosian, uh, Geonosian arena from uh, episode two. Um, that reek was... More reddish in color. This mm-hmm. is more of a brown reek, and it looks like he actually might have some fur. I can't tell. Yeah. It looks kind of yeah. like a furry reek. Yeah. Oh, and he's. Oh wait, there there is was Nolte. Yeah, that was uh, Ugnolte. Ugnolte. <laughs> there he is. God, it looks you know, like Nick. It looks like you know, Nick Kramer and I. We were texting back and forth. And and he said, boy, it's amazing that they were able to get that uh, Ugnot to look so much like Nick Nolte. And I said, well, I think it's the other way around. I think that Nick Nolte just happens to look very Ugnotish. The, the original in the face back in the late 70s when George Lucas himself was inspecting the maquettes created by ILM for concepts for the Ugnot. George would hold up the... Maquette, look at it and go, uh, can you make him look more like uh, Nick Nolte? <laughs> and that's how it happened. Things are coming full circle here. Oh, uh, I want him to be uh, gruff yet lovable. Nick so Nolte. we're thinking Nick Nolte's doing the voice, right? Is that what we think? Or is Nolte? Yeah. Is this some sort of mocap or something going on with the well, Nolte guys, face? The way that they're developing this technology, you know. Who knows? Yeah. But he's given uh, the Mandalorian a little friendly pat on the shoulder here. 
Mm-hmm. Speeder bikes. More of the Razor Crest. Dog fight. Oh, there, there we go. We got. Um, Who's he hanging with? Well, this is the part of the crew. You know, okay, that's Grief Carga. Yep. And so those must be his goons. Um, that one wearing the oversized helmet, that looks like a leftover from Rogue One. Mm. Um, really? I seem to recall seeing someone like that on the streets of Jeddah. And then the other two guys are kind of hard to really even make out. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah Carl I, I, Weathers. I just, there he is. There he is. I want you. Yeah. Hey, is this is that a weak way? To his, I guess it would be to his right. Could be. Left. And the weak way almost looks like he's wearing some Mandalorian armor himself. Yeah, look at that chest plate. Yeah, yeah. And the shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Oh, Cara Dune. I'm really excited for her. She looks, yeah. she looks cool. Yeah. I, like, she looks legit. Like, she could legit kick some real. Well, well I mean, of course she can. In real life, she can. MMA fighter. Gina Carano. Um, yeah. She is, yeah. MMA, and uh, so she'll be great for a lot of the physical uh, demands on her character and providing real legitimacy to that aspect, the physical aspect of her character. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So here's she, okay. There's, there, now you're seeing that them really teaming up there and clasping of hands. Yeah. Um, oh, and then here's... Uh, okay, that... You know. Oh, IG-11... Yeah, we've seen this of, shot I know a lot. a lot of people excited about IG-11, though. Um, but this gentleman's uh, name is escaping me. He's uh, a baddie. That's uh, Giancarlo uh, uh, from uh, Breaking Bad. He in was Breaking Gus, Bad, that's right. Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. And he was, um, uh, what a character in that show. Giancarlo Esposito. And uh, as I look at his IMDb, he's only slated for one episode. John Carlo slated for one episode. Boy, and they've been dragging mm-hmm. him around as a part of this crew for Werner this Herzog, series. Werner Herzog, one episode. Yeah. Nick Nolte, yeah. one episode. Ooh. Uh, you, uh, Pedro Pascal, eight. And um, Gina, Gina Carano? Oh, Okay. So the guy that we saw that we thought could have been Pedro Pascal, as I'm looking at the IMDb, I believe that actor is not Pedro. He was, he's a guy named Bernard Bullen, and he plays father. Yes. So that's it. So he's flashing back to himself as a child during the Clone War. That's what I think is pretty possible with that one shot. Wow. So um, on Mandalore. Yes. We're looking at Mandalore here. You know, and there's a lot of people who don't listen to the show all the way through. Like they'll listen to a little bit, and they'll hear me say, "Oh, that's Pedro Pascal," and they'll already know that it's Bernard Bullen. That's right. And that's then they'll send they us emails. Know. So hey, before send you send email, us an email, yeah. can you listen to the whole damn show? Yeah, we hope you Please. made it this far before you sent the email. And yeah. if you you already sent the email, prepare to be uh, completely uh, put down and uh, ripped apart <laughs> when I respond. <laughs> No, I would never do that. Well, I might. Um, Bill Burr only slated for one episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez, Bill Dude. Burr. Oh, God. Cara oh. Dune slated uh-huh. for one episode. Well, see, that's bizarre, yeah, right? So, and that's really mm-hmm. bizarre because they've been on the dog and pony show circuit since Star Wars Celebration Chicago right. as being courted. How about uh, Carl Weathers? How many episodes? One episode. Grief Cargo. <sighs> really? Ta- right, so Taika Watiti, one episode. Yeah, I think uh, we know he's directing more than one. 
Well, he right? is. He, well, he's directing. Yeah, the final episode. He will be back as the director for that. But yeah, okay. I, I, right. I can't believe that these characters, especially Kara Dune, who already has action figures coming. Um, I, I find it hard to believe they're only going to be in one episode, but that's uh, according to IMDb. Um, you know, crowdsourced could be wrong. Well, I'd like you to, or maybe just maybe would to maintain you like to meet my Black Series six-inch action figure of what was that cat from uh, episode seven? That big cat, hat? big hat cat from episode seven. You're talking about. Um, the uh, guy who's supposed to be law enforcement on Jakku. That's right. And never made it into the film. But never was made like it in the movie. But the man, first every action, action figure. <laughs> what was his name? I'm blanking on his name. Why do you do this to me? Because well, um, I'm doing it to I myself. Too. <laughs> It'll come back to us. Yeah. All right. Everyone's People are yelling. yelling. They're yeah, all I know. yelling. Stop yeah. yelling. Who cares? <laughs> that dumb <laughs> Vuvio or some Zuvio. Zuvio, Zuvio. Captain Zuvio. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah stop it. yelling at the eye. Vuvio. I like. I love the way that it starts Vuvio. to crystallize. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's Giancarlo, IG11. Oh, ooh, check this out. Now look at this tender moment. Yeah, with like- uh, a, a very, uh, a very attractive uh, young woman as she is caressing. The helmet. It, it's almost one of those moments, Jim. Like, is it really you? I think I, well, this is the sister. The, I think mother. this is the grown. No, no, no. This is the sister of the Mandalorian. So yes, we saw earlier the little girl. You calling for mom and dad? That's the flashback on Mandalore, the siege of Mandalore during the Clone War, and um, this is him coming back to that village. And meeting that little girl. This is the sister. That's my prediction. This was the little girl, but now she's all grown up. On IMDb, Alexandra Manea is mm-hmm. credited as the mother. Okay. And I think, I think, think this is the mom. I uh, think this is sister. It's hard to tell, but I think that is the same actress. I don't know. I think uh, like yeah. I'm looking at pictures of her, so yeah. but I'm, all right, all right, hold on, fine. I'm having trouble back. finding. I'm just scrub back. I'm scrubbing back. Yeah, that's her. I want to see the people running. I want to, where, come on, people run! Oh that's wait, it. here we go. All right, let's see. Uh, she's reaching out. Oh, that could. Uh, that doesn't have to be a little girl. Let's look at this again. It could be a boy. That could. Totally oh, that be could a boy. be a boy. Yeah. I think that is a boy. I think that's the Mandalorian. I think that, yeah, that that's is young, young Mando. There he yes. is, young Mando. He's saying, "Please, right. please take please, my hand." Sir? Please. And there's mom. And there's mom. And then there's dad. But she looks older, though. I don't think it's the same actress. No, that's not the same actress. She's older. Okay. She's older. I think it's sister. It's little sister. 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 <laughs> Wait a minute. I got a little too. Here she is. Get the caress going. Yeah, that's sister. Okay. That's 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 Mando sister. Well, it looks like she's she's reaching to remove the helmet. It could be a fake out, you know, like right oh. when she goes to remove it, a Here bomb explodes and they have to run. Oh, she's getting ready to lift it off. <laughs> yeah, she's And that's going to be the moment when she goes, "It's really you." Boba. Pedro Boba. <laughs> Boba. <laughs> who was the one guy from the expanded universe who used to impersonate Boba Fett and steal his jobs? Jodo Cast. Oh, remember that? 
I do remember that, yeah. Jodo. It's really you, Jodo. Cass. Yeah. No, the timeline would be wrong for that to be Jodo. Right, right. Anyway, okay, so this is Sister. Uh, here's Cara Dune opening up a can of uh, you know some uh, whoop-ass on with the uh, with the blaster. In her one and episode. And here's this cat. Bill I Burr. Like is that Bill? Oh, jeez. Oh, Here I am. Look at my laser. My lasers. <laughs> and I, I like I can't the- can't uh, I'm doing this stupid the, nerd stuff. The short- <laughs> I don't even know what this is, but I love the shoulder laser. That's kind of a nice touch. That is cool. That's very Predator. Very Predator. The shoulder yeah, laser. Uh, and then here's the man. Of, this is like some James Bond stuff, man. All right. Like <laughs> hanging off the TIE fighter. This is right. uh, Giancarlo's TIE fighter, I think. Yes, I yes. Know. This is um, uh, Moff Repelling. Gideon. Oh, look at that. That's fantastic. <laughs> that, that is great. That is, I tell you. Uh, this is, I mean, that's the kind of stuff right Ooh. there. That's the kind of stuff that Dave Filoni brings to the table, dude. Here's Johnny. I, that, this is the kind of stuff where he's like, you know what people would love to see? It blow their minds. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a Mandalorian on top of a TIE fighter. Right through the right through the, uh, the dash right there. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I can't then- shake him. <laughs> he's on the ship. And there he is yep. aiming with that holiday special rifle of his. Which, by the way, is the coolest thing from the holiday special is that rifle. It I is love the, the coolest thing. That. It's the only cool thing from the holiday special. <laughs> a lot of people want to say that Boba Fett cartoon is is good. It it's, it sucks. Yeah, let's it face is. it. it but it's it, it. but based on the rest of the holiday special, it's genius. <laughs> you know when you when you you know contrast the two like that. It's. Uh, I remember our old pal Steve Sansweet said, "You know the biggest crime of the holiday special is not that it's bad; it's just boring." <laughs> I'm like, no. It's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. real bad. That's what makes it. <laughs> and <sense>. boring. <laughs> the fact that it's boring makes it bad. Right, right. But then just about anything I... on the screen is uh, pretty <laughs> cringy. Yeah. All right. So there we go. He's pointing there it at is. Uh, yeah, Mandalorian. I, uh, this is just, I, I, couldn't be, you just, I couldn't be more excited. Mm-hmm. So here are the big brands. Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Oh, that's interesting. Star Wars, not it's not Lucasfilm. It's Star Wars, yeah. National Geographic, National Geo, which is why I'm buying into Disney Plus. Oh, absolutely, National Geographic, so I could see me National some uh, some topless <laughs> Zulu women. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's that's a cool um, little uh, trailer, and yeah, that's l- less than two weeks away. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think we got a lot to look forward to. We will be bringing you guys the Mandalorian after show, which will be uh, an hour of your phone calls. Uh, We'll be taking them live on the evening's new episodes debut. So hopefully they don't wait till like nine o'clock to debut these new episodes. They get them out right away in the morning. Um, Yeah, I'm hoping so. With some of these streaming services, they hit right at midnight. Sometimes, like with iTunes, I think it's two a.m. Mm-hmm. So if let, let's say let's say the the movie is going to hit on you know the the fifteenth of the month uh, with with iTunes, it'll hit like around two a.m. on the fifteenth. So see. who knows what their timing will be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would imagine, yeah, uh, first thing in the morning, you'd be able to watch the episode. 
on the day it's scheduled to debut. Yeah. I have fingers I crossed am, for that. I'm so excited for the Mandalorian after show. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that we've been wanting to do for a long time, I and mean, we've we've been doing roundtables and discussions for many, many years from all the way back to the beginning of the Clone Wars, from the movie all the way through all seasons and then into Rebels. But this is something that we're going to be able to do with you. You're going to be our roundtable. It's going to be great. Obviously, Jimmy and I will anchor it. But once we've had a chance to digest the episode on a weekly basis, we're going to open up the phone lines and hear what you think. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be like a kind of a book club, but for Mandalorian and video and <laughs> streaming. Uh, so move over, Oprah. Here well, we it can. sure looks Rebel good. Radio. It and looks it, phenomenal. It, there's a lot of uh, familiarity um, with the rest of the universe, the yeah. Star Wars universe going on there. And, you know, I understand the necessity to break new ground with Star Wars and to introduce new elements, new situations, new characters, it, new aliens, etc. But I... Uh, hear a lot of people saying it's fan service when we get things that connect with the prior saga. And uh, I don't call it fan service at all. I call it consistency, my friend. Consistency. consistency. The framework is there. Work within the framework. And then, of course, you know, there's always moments for outside-the-box happenings. Uh, but as we just went through the... The, the the trailer, uh, there was a press conference and a, a bit of a, a press whoop-de-doo surrounding the premiere of The Mandalorian, and I think it culminated with about 20, 25 minutes of the first episode being screened. The reviews are uh, seem to be off the charts great. I didn't really see anything that indicated that uh, anyone was disappointed in the room where they were screening this. But, Jim, you did capture some of the audio for us. Um, what do you got? Well, I wanted to focus on what Favreau and Filoni were talking about during this press conference. Um, Gina and uh, Pedro really didn't have much insight uh, into the uh, production process of the show. Um, they were just kind of out there. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I was just really interested in getting into Dave and John's heads. And uh, with uh, Filoni specifically, I thought it was interesting where he revealed that shooting live action with The Mandalorian has been a learning process for him. And while there are elements that are very similar to directing and producing Animated Star Wars, live-action Star Wars, obviously presents a whole different can of worms. And uh, Dave talked a little bit about the learning process he's gone through as he's discovered those differences between live-action and animation. I think for me, one of the things is, I, I mean, I was on set every day the whole season, so I learned watching every single one of our directors, I learned watching our great cast, uh, everyone behind the scenes. I, I treated it as, you know, boot camp for me to learn this type of filmmaking. But then I tried to offer the knowledge that I'd been passed on to me by George for Star Wars things and just the way that he liked to shoot things. But uh, it definitely has affected the way I look at, uh, you know, 
a day. What can I accomplish in a day? That's a big difference for me, filmmaking-wise. We arrived on a back lot, and the DP, Greg's like, well, the sun's up, we've got to get going. I'm like, all right, because it's going to go down. Animation, <laughs> we don't really have that problem. So, you know, you're getting on 6 o'clock, and everyone's getting squirrely, and you're like, the sun's going down, the sun's going down. I'm like, right, then we're screwed, and this... <laughs> So the whole set's going down. So there's, there's a bunch of very tangible things that are going to happen. And, you know, uh, it's, I love having this experience and knowing the difference between animation. There are advantages and disadvantages to each one. I don't, frankly, at this point, prefer one or the other. I like both experiences, and they're both unique. But I do love, um, and I've talked with Kathy quite a bit about this as she's asked me the differences that I've experienced. There's something about the concrete nature of live action. It's incredibly spontaneous. It's going to happen right there in the moment, and then that's it. Where I can tweak a, a tiny eyebrow or a tiny smirk or give Ahsoka just a little bit of a push in a direction that will dramatically change the character, you have to get all these variables to kind of come together and be aware of it. Uh, and it's not like you're controlling any of it as much as you're guiding it. And, you know, John would, would stand with me and speak to this, you know, you're looking at everything all at once. Where in animation, it's like a recipe that I can keep adding little ingredients. And you have a lot of flexibility, thank God, in digital. In post, we can do a lot. But capturing that moment right in front of you, I think the real magic of it all and something that I've been uh, craving to try. And luckily, we have an incredible crew and cast that can capture those moments, as hopefully you saw in the footage. But yeah, that's what I learned uh, the most. Well, you know what? This guy is, you know, he learned at the knee of the maker, George Lucas, and now he's learning, you know, that's that's how to make Star Wars. You know, we had a, a quote, I think, years ago from Dave, where uh, George kind of, it was almost like he was, shaking the the writers of the clone wars by the, the 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 collar and saying i'm teaching you to make star wars how to make star wars i think that was the exact quote and so dave and his um contemporaries there that worked on that show learned from the master the maker and now he's taking that knowledge bringing it to the set of the mandalorian and then you know enhancing that with the teachings of a, of a John Favreau, how to navigate and handle a live action set. Uh, this is, this is the, the makings I think of the guy who is going to really be the future of star Wars. I still think Dave still has a huge role to play as star Wars, you know, continues to unfold on the small screen and the big screen. Absolutely. I have a lot of thoughts about that, but the first thing I want to do is ask you if you, um, would be so kind as to uh, remove your cursor from my face. It appears that you're trying to make me look like uh, you do in your Halloween costume, and I really don't want to. Thank you. But you know what? The people that are watching that, yeah, they can't see that. Oh, they can't see the cursor. Oh, I thought I was going to crack everyone up with that. I'm I'm like swatting it away, you know? (laughs) Like it's a fly. Like it's a fly. Yeah, no, that's just for you. That's just for you. See, I'm going to put the fly... On my on my little mark right there, but oh. see, people. people <laughs> okay, but uh, as far as Dave Filoni goes, you know, a lot of people are like, "This is so obvious. Just put Filoni in charge of Star Wars. Why are they jerking around with all these other people that Kathleen Kennedy is just going to fire anyway?" <laughs> well, they're not entirely wrong. <laughs> the case of the matter is this: yeah. 
Dave Filoni has had an entire career in animation. When the Lucasfilm acquisition was made by Disney, Dave saw everyone he worked with just about at Lucas Animation lose their jobs. And Dave Filoni himself was uncertain if he was going to stay with the company or if they were going to let him go too. There was a concern that Dave's future there might be um, in jeopardy. Thankfully, he was kept in place, and uh, that was a very smart move, considering that, yeah, he had been working at the feet of George Lucas for almost a decade. So that's part of the process here. You have to understand, it's not like Dave can just walk into somebody's office and say, put me in charge. And it doesn't appear to be so obvious to those who actually are in charge that any changes even need to be made in the first place. So I think we are now at a point here in late 2019 where it seems very likely that Dave Filoni is being groomed for a much larger career in Star Wars live action. And he's being walked through the process by John Favreau. And uh, I, I think that that there's definitely a method to this madness as far as Dave Filoni is concerned. Um, but Disney does have a lot of tools in its box, and Kevin Feige is one of them. Mm-hmm. And so he's been put in place to... Uh, quite possibly, and this is not confirmed, but quite possibly nurture the future of Star Wars into uh, whatever direction it's going to be going in. And I think that Dave Filoni's star is definitely on the rise. I think he could be a guy that someone like Kevin Feige would tap to have a larger role, or maybe even the role as head honcho in charge of uh, story development and content. That could happen. Um, But you don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse, right. and you want to make sure that Mr. Filoni himself is fully prepared for the demands that right, would be made on him. You want him to be set up to fail. That's right, that. right. He may have all of the mm-hmm. uh, knowledge in terms of the lore, the mythology, uh, the methodology in, in, in crafting Star Wars, but if he doesn't have the technical expertise mm-hmm. and the experience of how to handle a set, with human beings, yes, and, and all the egos and all of the um, you know things that happen, uh, then right. it's not going to do anybody any good at all. Right, and I, I think having John Favreau there is is great for all of us because by all accounts, you got a down to earth, humble guy gets it on. I think he seems to get it from a fan level as well as from a Hollywood insider level. I think he's kind of the perfect combination. Well, I think Favreau's that. another one of those candidates, too, who could be mm-hmm. moved up to uh, an elevated position there within Star Wars. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, the situation with Dave Filoni, everyone's like, just put him in charge already. It, I look at it a lot like your top prospect in baseball. You don't want to rush his development through the minor leagues and bring him up to the big leagues before he's ready, and then he ends up getting shelled and loses all of his confidence. <laughs> you know, yeah, That's, right, uh, right. Y- you want to make sure that that he's ready to go. And Filoni, to me, is the top prospect. I think his star is definitely on the rise with Star Wars, and I do predict he will be 
moving into a more expanded role as far as uh, content and development of Star Wars goes. Um, All right, we've got more to this press conference here. Yeah. Um, you know, as we were pointing out, Jim, in the trailer, you have the uh, the weapon of choice for the Mandalorian, which is plucked right out of the holiday special. And uh, Dave's tenure over the Clone Wars and Rebels, he's certainly no stranger of grabbing elements from the expanded universe. And I mean the old expanded universe, the Legends material, and putting them right into canon, most famously, most boldly, Grand Admiral Thrawn himself. So what could we expect in terms of live action and borrowing from those other things, right? (laughs) Yeah, like even the holiday special, yeah. as you said, that's not off limits. So, yeah, uh, yeah Filoni and Favreau talk about uh, what we can expect about uh, connective tissue to previous Star Wars lore. We're starting with new characters, right? Everybody, there, there's all sorts of conjecture. Is this really when he is it is it is it going to really reveal that it, it's Boba Fett all along? Is it a character we already know? We wanted to start fresh with a whole new uh, group of a, a whole new, a whole new set of characters that you never met before, and so there are ways that even though we have new characters and and you could jump in because it's chapter one, we wanted to make sure that if you were watching and you knew about it, and this is where Dave has really been a treasure trove because we we tried to effort to work stuff in, whether it's humorously, like making a reference to Life Day, or a reference to a prop that has been um, has been uh, appreciated by a core group uh, over time, just putting those little Easter eggs in, or big movements in the story that reflect storylines in, in either the legends or in canon that people have known and had, um, and, and by the way, all of the animated um, content that had, that Dave's been working on, how do you weave all of it together so that you don't have these divided, segmented parts of the, you know, of the audience, but you could start to bring it all together and coalesce it in a way that creates an overarching narrative and rewards the people who've been putting the time in over the years since they were kids growing up with it. It's, it's very fun. Like, I would love... John would write these scripts, turn them around. We would talk sometimes because I'd be in San Francisco. We'd be on the phone and we'd just start rallying and come up with a whole plot for an episode. Kid you not on the phone. And he's like, oh, okay, it's in my head. I got to go. I got to go. Boom. Uh, okay. And then like a day later, here, read this. I'm like, oh, wow. There's a script now. And it was cool. I mean, it was really fun. And it's fun reading, you know, John's take on Star Wars. And I would read something like, oh, I see the holiday special's back. And I give him a hard time about it, you know, because... Well, it happens. I've been I mean, it's through there. that. Right. Yes, I know. It's a long way of saying you really like the holiday special. And I've accepted it hit, that. And it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We know you had the gun in the show because you liked it and you yeah. wanted to have it. The cartoon And now it's in your office and i get that like i've never experienced that before like you say i want to design this i'm going to have this and then someone literally makes it walks up to you and hands it to you i haven't had that in animation that's what's that's what's been really uh great about it and there is a discipline about it of like let's make sure that we are authentic authentic disciplined cohesive and that no matter where you're coming from and what your background in Star Wars, you know that what we're doing is not being done. Um, it's being done out of 
we've really deliberated over it and discussed it and thought thought it through. And so if we depart in any way, it's it's it, we know we are. And if we, but it's with a plan. And and part of it also is what's the big arc? You know, that's the exactly. other thing. That's the fun thing is is the plan. And and like there are some things where I'm like, oh, I wonder what people are going to think of this. But then we think about what you're going to think about it, and then we get a couple <laughs> years ahead of that, and then we're like, okay, then we'll see. Because you might know this move, but you don't know that move. And that's just the fun part, especially in series. Yes. We can make that work uh, even better. We and could create a dialogue. Yeah. 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 All right. So I was just a little distracted because uh, Lawrence Kasdan has, this is kind of breaking news, Lawrence Kasdan has uh, come out at the Austin Film Festival, I believe. How's the story? Uh, is it? This is from over the weekend, last weekend. This was over the weekend? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I didn't see this. He's yeah. talking about the Studio Blue. It. Yeah, yeah, His yeah. Solo, he's a little grumpy. Yeah, yeah. That's he. Uh, you know, obviously put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into Solo, and uh, probably felt really disappointed. Well, that's what pulled him back into Star Wars to begin with. He didn't had it had no intention of working on Episode Seven, but it was um, his. Well, they were consulting Solo. him, but yes, he wanted to dive into Solo, and then they brought him in Episode 7, and he claims that they're still sending him scripts. I believe that they sent him a script for Rise of Skywalker and wanted his notes on that, and he told the FedEx guy, I ain't accepting it, and sent it back to him. He wanted to slam the door shut on Star Wars and make yeah. it clear, and they, again, as I brought up earlier in the show, it certainly appears that episode nine is going to be a very collaborative effort with many cooks in the kitchen offering their input from George Lucas to Bob Iger to you name it. They're all going to be weighing in on this one and probably much to J.J. Abrams chagrin. But that is, you know, just how it goes. The rumor is and some quotes have been floating around saying that J.J. is not a fun person to be around these days. (laughs) I'll bet. I'll bet he, well, he's under tremendous, <laughs> tremendous Huge pressure. pressure. But let's pressure. talk a little bit about what yeah. Filoni and Favreau were talking about. Um, the holiday special. They were talking about how they deliberate over things and they think uh. about how the fan base is going to react to things. Mm-hmm. He said, we think a lot about what you guys are going to think about. So we think about it a little harder. Uh, and th- I found that to be extremely refreshing in the wake of The Last Jedi and how Mark Hamill was uh, told to go away when he expressed his nervous reaction to the depiction of Luke Skywalker. Remember that what that quote was? It's, 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 I think it's important to remind people exactly what he said. He said after he read the episode eight script, and he said to Ryan Johnson, I just need you to know that I fundamentally disagree with every choice you've made. Yeah. And he just couldn't go on with the role and have a clear conscience about it without at least expressing those concerns. He said, think about what the fans are going to think. Think about how they're going to react. And he was basically told to shut up and go away. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Ryan's the writer. His script, he's directing it. Shut up and go do your job. And he did do his job. And he did. To his credit, he did his job. Because he's a pro. Fabulously. And he turned in one of the best acting performances of his career. I agree. But we wanted to see Luke, not Jake Skywalker. And we got Jake. And, um, you know, I don't want to, listen, I don't want to dig all that crap up. Right. Listen, episode eight is not going to change. 
And we need to think about the Star Wars that is and not the Star Wars that isn't. I still believe that, folks. You guys write us all the time and tell us we're being negative and everything. It's We're just trying to assess this whole thing as it's unfolding in front of us. Our, our love for Star Wars and our desire to see it succeed has never diminished. And just like a huge majority of the fan base... We are on this roller coaster ride, and sometimes we have gone on too many upside down turns, and it's making our stomach a little queasy. And uh, that's all it is. Um, but uh, you know, when you, you hear about productions like Picard and the inclusive nature of that situation, where Patrick Stewart who knows the role better than anyone else, was actually giving a producer credit on that show. He was not told to just go do his job. Just, just we're, We didn't hire you for that. Just go do just your say job. The line. No. Say the lines. Right. And hit That's your mark. how Mark Hamill yeah. was treated. Shut up yeah. and say your lines. Right. We don't care about the fan reaction. We only care about Ryan's vision. And that's what it came down to. And, and you know what? And, and that's, that's how Ryan operates. He takes it all on his shoulders. Right. And, um, you know, um, but he's not the type of guy to uh, go down with the ship either. Very. <laughs> if, if Ryan and, was the captain of the Titanic, he would have been the first guy on the lifeboat. Yeah. And then he would have insulted everyone who stayed up on the ship. <laughs> Called them but, man babies. But this but, is not what we see from Favreau and Filoni, who are very no, aware no. that they're making this show. Mm-hmm. Here's a shocker. They're making this show for the fans. Do we deserve this? Yeah, yeah. Because um, if you're not uh, making it for the fans, who are you making it for? Yeah. Hmm. Mm, chew on that, faithful RFR listeners. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, so I find that very refreshing. I also find it very refreshing that they talk about breaking down these stories and these characters and everything. And there was nary a mention of the story group. Nary. I find that to be extremely refreshing. I do as okay. well. Okay, I, I, I've heard JJ and Ryan lean on those guys and Ron Howard, and you know what? Let's get a filmmaker in there who doesn't need this kind of uh, safety cushion, this the safety net. Yeah, that the story the Star Wars provides. by committee. So you know what what role um, they I play. Have a, in I this? have a manual for the West End games that shows that this uh, occurred back in uh, 1990. Please go away. That was written by somebody in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah, so far, you know, these guys are hitting the right marks with me as far as uh their approach to the first ever live action Star Wars streaming my, series. My, my so. mole is itching. <laughs> keep keep scratching it. Uh, for the if you're really missing out, those of you who are not uh, all excess members of the Patreon group, because uh, you can see the video in my Halloween costume, which consists of a t-shirt and a mole. In the t-shirt, I, I wear. Anyway, so. I believe our Mandalorian review will be made available on YouTube, so anyone listening oh, okay. to the show can cruise over to YouTube and see uh, Jason's Halloween costume. That he's wearing on November first. <laughs> All right, no, I. You know what? I'll have you know, it is not 
November first. Uh, All right, yes, we got one more clip from the uh, from the press conference. What yeah, else this, do we got? This kind of nice, and this sort of covers some ground that we were covering earlier in our conversation. Is uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau working together, and um, the uh, the benefits of the collaboration between these two on the Mandalorian, and the special sauce that Dave Filoni can put into the recipe due to his close working relationship for about a decade with George Lucas. All right, so here it is, friends with benefits and the special sauce that they create. Here we go. <laughs> that, that didn't sound right. I met Dave because I was up at the ranch mixing Iron Man, and he was secretly working with George on Clone Wars before anybody had ever heard of it. And I showed him Iron Man. He showed me Clone Wars. I was like, if you ever need a voice on this, I'd love to do it, which turned into me playing a Mandalorian named Pre Vizsla on his, on his show. But what's so nice is that... Where's the applause? Come on. Pre Vizsla. Ten years. Bunch of reporters who don't know nothing. And so they had worked together. So a lot of what's wonderful about working with Dave is that, that continuity of vision. This has been a real special thing for me. It's something that I really... Doing live action, I became interested in it. Uh, from working with George and the way that he talked about uh, how we should shoot uh, Clone Wars. And he would always speak in live-action terms. So the terminology was always around me, but, and I didn't always understand how to apply it over the years, though. I got a little better with it. And he's so steeped in technology, George, uh, and pushing technology, uh, previous systems, stuff like that on Clone Wars, that it just became a part of the language of filmmaker for me as well and working with John is really natural it kind of continues that because he's very forward thinking with technology and using uh, tools to help enable greater storytelling and I saw that you know in Jungle Book just incredibly uh, so very inspirationally and uh, with the work that he's done in Lion King and whatnot so for me um, it was a great opportunity to work with somebody that kind of works in a, in a similar vein, but I could really be challenged, and uh, John has challenged me, I will say that, uh, creatively, storytelling-wise, and you need that sharpening. You need to improve and, and continue uh, a legacy of, being, you know, frankly, being mentored. I see it as very Star Wars, this whole path for me. Wow. So Dave is kind of living his own hero's journey as he continues to learn from George Lucas, John Favreau, so these mentors keep popping in uh, to his life, and I think it's leading him, as we just said uh, a little bit uh, just to go, that it's leading to, I think, something even bigger and better for Dave and his role that he's going to play in Star Wars. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I kind of regret that they took our beloved characters from the original trilogy and sort of pushed them and squeezed them into this um, this trilogy that was not quite ready. I, I think about what guys like uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau could have done given the same resources of a Harrison Ford and a Carrie Fisher and a Mark Hamill. Uh, but what are you going to do? Uh, as you said, Jim, it's about living with the Star Wars that is, not the Star mm -hmm. Wars that could have been or what we might have liked it to have been. Um, and, you know, here we are. And we've got a lot, I think, to look forward to from The Mandalorian. Hearing from those guys, I'm more excited about that, I think, than I've ever been. Uh, yeah. And we also have the wrap-up of 
the Skywalker saga, the cinematic Skywalker saga. But, you know, there's, there's a part of me that really thinks that um, if they just wait, you know, the public's memory, collective memory is very short. You give this thing another four years or so. You got a Kevin Feige that comes out and says, you know what? We're going to go visit these characters one more time. You just never know. I don't think that this is necessarily uh, saying goodbye to the Skywalker saga or the Skywalker legacy. I think it's goodbye for the current crew, but you never know what the future holds. Well, you know, I was uh, pretty encouraged by the uh critical and fan reaction to the spider-man animated movie that showed up earlier this year spider-verse yeah and um and it did well in the box office too Mm -hmm. and it just makes me consider could there be a future star wars animated feature with those classic characters maybe Mm. something that takes place not too long after return of the jedi Um, Something that wouldn't disrupt the film canon, but could bring back all of those characters and put them in viable roles that expand their legacy in a positive way via animation. That'd be great. We saw no expansion of their roles in a positive way in the sequels. I will say that. We have seen no positive expansion. For those characters in the sequels, Han Solo was a deadbeat dad. Luke Skywalker was a grumpy curmudgeon in exile who denounced the Jedi Order and redefined balance of the force. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that that is the sort of send off. Leia was, was kind of left alone. Yeah, well, the, you know. The, 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 last, the last hero. Well, she was primarily sidelined throughout uh, the two well, films. Yeah, she was. She, she really no didn't. Um, her, the, the prime value of having Carrie Fisher return as Princess Leia in Episode 7 was to have those scenes with Han Solo. Yeah. And that was reassuring to know that there was still a lot of love and respect between the two, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. though they weren't getting along as a married couple. But I still feel a little devastated by the fact that uh, the big three were never properly reunited and that uh, Han and Leia had not had success in their marriage. I'm, I'm coming yeah. off of you know, my 22nd wedding anniversary, and I couldn't possibly imagine it being any different from the day I got married to this very moment. And uh, I just feel so sad that for yeah. for as powerful and action oriented that these characters are, and how much they mean that they couldn't they couldn't find a happy future together. Yeah. And Luke, yeah. of course, you know, Luke went through a divorce himself with the Jedi Order. So, did you really think that the end game for these characters were going to be divorce and separation? Yeah. That hurts. That hurts me to even think about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe one of those, but all of them. Mm-hmm. All that, three. Was the, that was the thing that really, I think, bugged me the most was mm-hmm. the fact that it was just a systematic takedown of these characters. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just 
watch the documentary uh, on the Blu-ray of The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Laid out all the major plot points, laid out all the major you know loose ends, the threads that were left bare at the end of The Force Awakens, and then say, well, what's the worst thing that these characters could endure as a result of this? Or what would be the worst conclusion to this? Well, you do that five, six, seven, eight times in one movie. You know, you're not just disappointing the characters, you're disappointing the people that are paying good money to come and see those characters. And so. you're corrupting their legacy at the same time. But yeah. Yeah. There's that negative talk for you guys. Yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. crap all over us personally. <laughs> you know, who's being negative here? You guys crap on us and, and take these personal low blows at us just because you disagree with our, our take on your on a movie. You know, I mean, who's being negative here? We're talking about a movie. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, there will be lots more to us. talk about as uh, we get closer to uh, the Rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian. Uh, it's going to be a prime time for Star Wars fans and Star Wars commentary, and we couldn't be happier that you've chosen to spend all that time with us here on Rebel Force Radio. Chewie, get us out of here! That's going to wrap things up for us this week on Rebel Force Radio. I call it our Halloween show. Jimmy says, no, it's not Halloween. It's the day after Halloween. It's November 1st. We've turned the page. We've turned the calendar over to the next month. But regardless, it's great to have you with us. And we'll be back next week with a whole lot more. Want to, uh, lots to digest, lots to discuss. This is one of those shows you probably want to listen to maybe more than once. There's a lot to unpack here as we uh, get amped up for the future of our favorite saga. We'd love to have you play with us in between shows, so while you're waiting for the next episode of Rebel Force Radio, please drop us a line. You can send us an email at show at rebelforceradio.com or the voicemail line 708-3201-RFR. That's 708-320-1737. Find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And is that it? Oh, and on YouTube, please subscribe. Make sure you're following us. We're having a lot of fun on our social media channels, so uh, check us out there. And uh, we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast. Best place to do it right now is, uh, of course, on iTunes and Apple Podcasts app or your favorite podcatcher of choice. Some of these apps have a place for you to not just subscribe, but also review your favorite podcasts, including Rebel Force Radio. We don't have a lot of rules here on RFR, but we just have one. When it comes to those reviews, please make them good. And you can find Rebel Force Radio streaming online at WGNplus.com, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. You'll find us here at Rebel Force Radio, number one after show podcast on iTunes and proud to be so. And uh, that after show for The Mandalorian starting very soon. So more details on that. Don't forget about Solo Rises in Ohio. Go to PlayoffSquare.org. Get those tickets. They are going fast. Not a lot out there to be had 
But uh, if you act now, you can go ahead and get there in a party with us and break down solo or the <laughs> solo. <laughs> ah, Skywalker, the rise of Skywalker. Hey, maybe solo will be in episode nine. You know, I, I would love it. I, I still such a lost opportunity. I, I, I sympathize with Lawrence Kasdan. I think that they did blow it. And I would love to see all those that whole cast come back into a kick-ass series on Disney+. Plus. I think it's possible. I really do. Well, Carrie is gone. No, I'm talking about Solo. Oh, Carrie. Oh, you know. Was she in that? I'm confused. <laughs> Solo. Just, All right. So many timelines. <laughs> so many actors. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time for <laughs> Rebel Force Radio. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember. Force will be with you. Always. Always.